Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence and general editor of For the Church, all at Midwestern Seminary. Really glad to be with you. Unfortunately, my friend, my colleague, my regular co-host, Dr. Ronnie Kurtz, is not able to join me on this episode of the podcast. He is at the time of this recording, uh, recovering from his time at the Evangelical Theological Society meeting, the Star Trek convention for theology nerds. Uh, It's it's one of my favorite times of the year, not because I go, I've actually never been, (laughs) but it's it's one of my favorite times of the year um, because I get to scroll through social media and look at all these guys I know very earnestly reading papers to rooms full of empty chairs. There's just something really heartwarming about about that scene. The dedication, the commitment, the isolation, uh, the the independence of the evangelical theologian. Well, uh, Dr. Kurtz represented the seminary well, presented on a few things, participated in panels and so on and so forth, but just wasn't available to uh, join me for this week's episode. He'll be back with me um, for our next episode, of course, to uh, finish out the year with us. So for all of you who hate the solo Jared episodes, you got to go back a while, actually. You need to kind of go back to the early episodes of the podcast. When I wasn't interviewing a ministry leader or an author of some kind, I was doing a lot of episodes just by myself, and we've gotten some reviews from people who said, never do a solo episode again. And we said, we heard you, we hear you, uh, but never say never, underrated James Bond movie, never say never again. So uh, we'll make this short and sweet. I won't make it a a bonus, overly long episode for you, but want to talk a little bit about Um, The complications that arise whenever we seek to experience the community of the church, especially when we seek to experience the community of the church in the ways that the uh, Bible gives us in its portrait of a grace-centered or a gospel-centered community. What can go wrong? (laughs) What could go wrong when you put a group of sinners under the same roof and you say, don't just tolerate each other. Don't just show up on a Sunday morning and sit across the aisle from each other and then ignore each other when the benediction is given and you get back into your minivan and go down to the Golden Corral and stuff your gullet full of food. Don't just do that. Covenant with these people. Make a commitment to these people to acknowledge that you're not just fellow churchgoers. You're not just going to breathe the same air in the in the building but you're actually going to as much as possible have all things in common and treat each other uh, not like acquaintances but like brothers and sisters well of course we know that even family relationships can be fraught with difficulty as all of our relationships can because of the fall because of the sin in us and the sin around us in this cursed place we have to struggle, and, and it's a, a constant uh, need for us to 
die to ourselves, deny ourselves, take up our crosses and follow Jesus, including into the, the experience of Christian community. So what goes wrong? How do we frustrate? How do we complicate our experience of Christian community? I'm just going to share with you a full, you know, few bullet points related to the complications. And the first is this. When we enter our experience of church in an evaluative mode, we're constantly measuring, right? So when you first visit a church, this evaluative mode is on, um, on a few different levels. You're, you're trying to determine, is this the kind of church that we could make our home? Will this be our, our future church home? And so you're looking at things, of course, like, is the preaching from the Bible? Are they faithfully um, exegeting the scriptures and proclaiming the true gospel from the scriptures? Can I know that week in and week out, when we come, when I bring my family here, or when I you know, visit this church, or when I attend this church, I'm going to hear from the pulpit a proclamation from the scriptures? That's a good thing. You're in a, you're in a good evaluative mode. You are uh, being a, a you know being a Berean, really. You're you're not just um, you know measuring the the preacher's words against what the Word of God says to make sure everything he says is in accordance with the scriptures. But you're making sure he's preaching from the scriptures to begin with. That you're not getting some kind of inspirational pep talk or some kind of life coaching or something like that. But that, that you know they're actually preaching the Bible. Then you may want to you know of course. Um, wonder or or evaluate the music is the you know are the songs that we are being led to sing are they songs that exalt Christ are they songs that um reflect the the truths of scripture are they songs that um are are singable you know are, are we genuinely being led into a an experience of worship of, of the almighty god and an extolling of the gospel in such a way that we're encouraging each other even uh, in the in the gathering, or is it just kind of it's kind of a vibe? It's kind of a you know it's more of a concert. It's really sort of an individualistic experience. I can't even hear myself, much less the people around me. These are appropriate things to be in a sense measuring. There are other things that you will measure as well, right? Is you know if, if if I'm dropping my kids off for childcare or children's church, or if we're splitting up for Sunday school or something like that, you know, does it look safe? Does it look, you know, appropriate? Are are my kids hearing the word of God in in different uh, in their venue of of edification? All those sorts of things. But over time, as you begin to commit to a church, so say after a few weeks, that's usually how long it takes. My church, Liberty Baptist Church, we issue what we call the four-week challenge to visitors because we're acknowledging that one isolated Sunday doesn't usually give someone the full picture of what it means to be a part of a church or what the church is really even like. So we say, hey, we want to challenge you to attend for four weeks. And at the end of those four weeks, if you decide Liberty Baptist is not for you, we'd be glad to recommend some other churches that faithfully teach the Bible and proclaim the true gospel. Uh, there's uh, uh, plenty in the Kansas City area. We'd be glad to recommend um, one of those churches to you to go check out. Um, you know, but after you've begun, you, you know, begun to commit to the church and say you even join this church, become a member, 
it's time to begin kind of ramping down, you know, powering down, so to speak, that evaluative mode. You don't want to go in every single week. Now, of course, you want to be discerning. I, I don't mean you, you know, turn your brain off or you stop discerning or you're not, you know, studying the word of God and those sorts of things. I just mean you're not looking to make sure everything fits all of your your preferences. If you never turn off the evaluative mode, then you're going to church really with kind of a, you know, a standard of the of the self, um, you know, established. You, you're going in with a measuring stick, trying to make sure everything fits your preferences. So there's a very fine line between being a good, you know, discerner and being a good student of God's word and being a Berean. Um, you know, as you compare what is being taught and preached against the Word of God, there's a fine line between that, which is appropriate, and the kind of consumeristic mentality that walks in going, satisfy me, meet my preferences, don't disappoint me. So you need to be really careful about that evaluation mode. Now, as we sort of begin to talk about the experience of community within the church, right? So what happens when you're in evaluative mode, constantly measuring, is it doesn't just stop with the production. It doesn't just stop with the features of the church. It begins to seep into our relationships in the church. So when we go into community groups, when we um, experience fellowship, when you're in evaluative mode, you begin to kind of size each other up based on how they treat you, the, you know, the experience that you have with them. And you can end up serving people with kind of the expectation of reciprocity. I remember, you know, meeting with a family once upon a time who was very dissatisfied that they were having numerous people in their home. They were hosting lots of people in their house week in and week out for meals and fellowship. And, but no one ever invited them to their house. And, uh, you know, I can understand that that's disappointing. You want someone to, you know, have you over into their home and that sort of thing. But uh, over time, this really became kind of a, a source of bitterness for them. And it got to the point where, you know, they were reluctant to invite other people into their home. And, I, you know, finally, you know, speaking to, um, you know, the head of the household there, speaking to the husband and father, I just said, Look, if 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 you guys are only having people over so that you'll get invited back, then probably you should stop. <laughs> um, you know, what's the purpose of having people into your home? Is it to serve them and to get to know them and to enjoy their company, or is it because you want to buy a ticket into their home? Not everyone has the same gifts and the same propensities. We have people in our home all the time. My wife um, has a gift of hospitality, so not just. Uh, um, you know, lost folks, but of course, um, you know, the fellowship of of the saints. And so the people in our church and other believers that we know, folks from the Midwestern seminary community, we're just, she's happiest when our house is full of people and she can feed them. She's a great cook. So she's always hosting people and feeding people. And it's just a joy for her to do that. Uh, um, it's a joy for me to see her having such joy so we participate in that together, get the house clean, get it ready for company, have people over, have great conversation, eat great food, laugh a lot, send them home. I, I can't think of a time, um, it has never happened, it has literally never happened, that my wife has said, you know what, these people, they never invite us into their house. <laughs> well, why? Because she's not doing it to get them to you know, reciprocate. She's not having people into our home with, a, with strings attached. 
she's having people into our home because it's her gift, it's her calling, it's her joy to do that. She is not concerned at all whether somebody is returning the favor. There's not an expectation that you're going to, you know, uh, scratch our back like we scratched yours. It is a picture of of kind of the unilateral um, service of grace that God serves us, knowing that we can't pay Him back, knowing, uh, you know, that it, it won't be a a perfectly reciprocal relationship. Um, I think we need to discern the difference between, gosh, our church just isn't friendly, and gosh, our church, you know, the people don't all all have the same gift, and they don't all operate in the same way, and the people that we're doing nice things for aren't doing the same level of nice things back to us. Once you begin thinking that way, um, you really kind of short-circuit your own uh, enjoyment of the exercise of the gifts. Um, In a way, you kind of you know, bleed them dry of the virtue. You, you know, you bleed your own works dry of the virtue um, that they can be in reflection of Christ. And you, you begin to set yourself up for a lack of joy um, because it's a kind of relational legalism, really, to do things for others with the expectation, the you know, unspoken or not, that they're going to return that favor. So when we walk into our experience of church, with the mindset of taking rather than giving, of looking to be served rather than serving, we're really going to frustrate. We're really going to complicate, um, you create disorder in the kind of uh, experience of community that the gospel would have us, ha- um, you know, experience. So, um, let me read to you from Romans chapter fifteen. I find this uh, a really helpful directive. Uh, towards the idea of a gospel-centered community. This is Paul writing Romans 15, beginning in verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, this is a really key verse here in the passage, verse 7 of Romans 15. Therefore, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, when I read that, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you, I don't just read it as an instruction to be nice. I don't just read it as an instruction to be sweet. I don't even just read it as an instruction to welcome one another. I ask the question, when Paul says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you, I ask the question of myself, how has Christ welcomed me? Well, Christ welcomes me knowing that I can contribute nothing to him, that I can add nothing to his greatness, that I can't pay him back. He welcomes me with affection. He welcomes me with joy. He welcomes me with such grace that it is, it is eager. It is, it is abounding with initiative. It's not reluctant. He, there are no hesitations. He is welcoming me, uh, with, with utter, um, uh, um, 
gosh, just the 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 uh, mercy that is there, the overlooking of my faults and my sin, the um, overlooking of my flaws, of my failings, the acceptance of the fact that that I can't give him what he's giving to me, and yet that is no hindrance to his welcome of me. So now I want to take that and apply that then to how I welcome others. And in fact, I think the implicit warning in the passage is um, if if we don't welcome others with grace, if we don't welcome others with uh, with no strings attached, if if we don't welcome others with a great mercy and an overlooking of faults and a um, you know seeking of their good, then in effect we are hypocrites. We're undercutting or or you know, speaking against the kind of grace that Christ has given us in the gospel, it, it would be a, a, a great detriment to us to experience this kind of grace from Christ and then not extend it to others. We need to keep that in mind in our experience of church. When you're in the community group, when you're in a small group, do you occupy all the time? Um, you know, do you eat up all of people's uh, emotional capacity? With um, you know, with self pity, with uh, you know, monopolizing the conversation. Are you the are you the know it all who answers every single question or corrects everybody based on your own understanding? Don't be that uh, relational or emotional black hole in the community group. Think about others needing to to be heard as well, and 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 others having things to contribute as well. They may not be as smart as you, right? You, you you think you're, you know, maybe the smartest one in the circle, perhaps, but they still have things to share that can be of benefit to you. Hearing your brothers and sisters uh, develops a better sense of empathy for them, which can only enhance your experience of of grace and community with them. So don't monopolize all the time. Don't you know? Don't be a um, a conversation hog. <laughs> In the, uh, in the small group experience. Just on your own, as you think about your church, ask yourself this question. Do you rehearse your disappointments about the church in your mind more than you advocate for your brothers and sisters? Are you giving them the benefit of the doubt? Do you bring a 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love to your consideration of them, where you're hoping all things and bearing all things? Or when you sit and think about your church, are you more kind of stewing are you more kind of mulling over the ways that they fall short and disappoint you? At some point, you need to understand that because Christ looks at you, a miserable sinner, uh, a total wretch spiritually compared to his holiness, I don't care how religious you are, how well put together you are, compared to the holiness of Christ, your righteousness is garbage. And yet he never looks at you and goes, Ugh, this guy, this girl. He he looks at you with such approval. He he shed his blood for you to unite you to himself. And if Jesus has done that with us, and if Jesus has done that with our brothers and sisters, what right do we have to sit around rehearsing accusation in our mind against them? That's the work of the devil. Christ is our advocate, not our accuser. Therefore, to rehearse the failings, to just sit around mulling over all of our disappointments, 
is really to echo the spirit of the accuser rather than the advocate of Christ. So decide, I shared a couple of weeks ago uh, with Ronnie on this very podcast, that um, you know I want to wear this t-shirt, or I just I wish I could kind of wear the sign around my neck when I walk into church that basically just says, you're cool with me, or I, I, I'm cool with you. I, I, you know, in case you ever wondered, I'm, I'm not, I don't have anything against you. If I, if I do, I will go to you and, and, and we'll try to work it out. I would bring it to you. I'm not just going to sit around thinking and stewing about it. And, and, you know, for the vast majority of the people that I'm, you know, covenanting with at Liberty Baptist Church, I just want them to know, I, th- I think you're cool. I think you're great. If everything's okay. You, we start out square. You don't start out indebted to me in any way. You don't got to prove yourself. You don't got to be a certain way. Um, you're not, you know, disappointing me by your existence. Let everybody off the hook. Just let everybody off the hook. And I'll close with this. I remember reading for the very first time Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together, which I would recommend that every believer in Christ who wants to know what it means to experience church oriented around the gospel, I would recommend you read this book. I've read it multiple times since then. It, um, outside the Bible itself, it's probably the most single impactful book that I have ever read. And the very first time I read it, I was a part of a, a very large, it was an attractional you know, mega church. I was in a small group of men, uh, a men's group that uh, where I was hiding, I wasn't really known. Um, what they knew of me was that I was, you know, really put together and, and I was a teacher and all these sorts of things. And I didn't want to, you know, bust that bubble. I didn't want to burst that illusion that my life was a mess and everything going on inside of me was a mess. And I'm reading this book and Bonhoeffer is just meticulously exploding (laughs) my sense of not just of self-righteousness, but my sense of isolation and, and the disappointments that I was experiencing in the church because I, you know, I was a critic most of the time in my own head, not really with other people, but sometimes with other people. Uh, but I was a critic of my church and in some ways that were appropriate, I, I think. Uh, again, that's that line of discernment between being a Berean and being someone who's just in the spirit of accusation. And I was veering too often into the spirit of accusation. And in Life Together, Bonhoeffer says many brilliant, wise things that are convicting and encouraging at the same time. But one of them is when he talks about this concept of the wish dream. And basically, he says that that pastors and zealous church members have to beware of their wish dream, of the of visionary dreaming, he calls it. And basically, the way he explains it is, is like this. We each have a vision for the church that we want. The wish dream is the ideal of community. Man, I wish everybody was super friendly and welcoming and everybody, you know, knew exactly how to speak to me and everybody was, you know, left me alone when I want to be alone and talk to me when I want to be talked to. And they just, they're intuitively knowing exactly what I need. And, um, you know, I just know the, the perfect kind of church. And when we have that in our head, when we're hung up on the wish dream, we will never have a breakthrough. Bonhoeffer says the breakthrough to true community cannot occur because we're constantly caring, uh, 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 comparing the church that we want to the church we actually have. And when we're hung up on the church we want, it frustrates our ability to, ch- 
uh, uh, to love the church we have. In fact, we cannot love the church we have if we're constantly measuring them and comparing them against the church that we want. God in his wisdom has put us in the churches that we're in, and barring that there's heresy being taught, barring that there's unrepentant sin taking place among the leadership, um, barring that there is uh, uh, abuse taking place in the church, but given just the garden variety, ordinary, imperfect, messy, awkward experience of Christian community, are we hung up on the wish dream? Or will we love people as Christ has loved us? He looks at us, he sees us, he knows we're not all that we're cracked up to be, and he loves us anyway. Can we bring that experience to church? Imagine if we all did that. How would that transform our ability to experience church? You may be saying, Jared, I, I'm, I'm doing that, but no, I'm the only one. <laughs> Nobody else is doing that. Well, keep at it. I think the Lord honors our, our desire and our efforts to glorify him through the giving of grace. And in fact, I think you're probably uh, more closer to Christ-likeness than you'll ever get than when you love somebody, truly love somebody, and care for them and serve them when they do nothing for you. That's a great picture of grace. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I'm sorry I went 25 minutes all by my lonesome. Um, if, you, if you hung around, hey, you know, those who endure to the end will be saved. Give us a good review on iTunes if you enjoy the podcast. Give us a good review on Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite programs. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.